Thanks for listening to the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church in Mullica Hill, New Jersey. We trust today's message will challenge you and move you closer to Christ. We have been away from the book of Acts for a while, but we're getting back there again, and we are coming back at this really cool transition in Paul's life. And that means that's got a lot of opportunity both for you and for me and a lot of application for wherever we are in our lives. And you're going to see that in just a moment. So will you stand with me for the reading of the word? We'll start in Acts chapter 20. We'll pick up the reading at verse 17, and I'll read about 11, 9, or 11, 10 verses there. Acts chapter 20, verse 17. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus, that is Paul, and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. And therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. <clears throat> Paul is about to enter into a transition. <clears throat> he's about to head um, back to Jerusalem, but from that moment he gets to Jerusalem, he's probably got about a week or so of freedom. He will be in chains, in prison for the next several years, okay? which means he is actually thinking that this is kind of the finishing line for him. And I want you to think that way because I want to apply that, this, this period of history, I want to apply that to your life and my life. Here's the thing. <clears throat> every single one of us, every single one of us is someplace on the journey, right? Um, and when we're on this journey, there's things we look at, maybe valleys we have to go through, maybe beautiful vistas that we see, uh, God's incredible work in our lives. Sometimes they're dark, sometimes they're bright. We're all on a journey. And it's easy in that journey to grow discouraged. Maybe on that journey, you have regrets. You're looking back and saying, man, I wish I wouldn't have said that. Boy, I wish I could do that over again. Maybe you have regrets. Maybe you feel <clears throat> like at some stage, I remember when our kids were home with us, that it felt like the journey was in hyperdrive, like it was just going so fast that I was just saying, I don't even know where the finish line is, but I know this journey just really, really is going fast, okay? Wherever you are, it's easy to kind of forget that we are losing sight of where the finish line is. And Paul's going to give us that in a moment. And when we lose sight of the finish line, some things happen. It's easy for us to kind of fall off or fall away from our understanding of where our faith is. Just speaking, 
momentarily as a as someone who spent basically my entire work career as a pastor. It's easy to look around and find that some didn't finish well. And so I love this phrase where Paul says, listen, I just want to finish, okay? That's not just for pastors, that's for all of us. And I don't want you to assume for a moment that just because you became a Christian and life's going on, that you're necessarily going to finish well. Stephen Farrar tells a story in one of his books about a pastor in Houston who was just getting started in ministry when his father pulled, father-in-law to be pulled him aside and said, I know you're getting started in ministry. Here's what I want you to do. He said, I want you to, to concentrate on Jesus every day because from where you are now to where you're going is a long way and the devil is in no hurry to get you. Okay. And then he said to him, listen, You're just getting started in ministry, but here's the deal. Um, As I look back, this older man said, as I look back, I see that basically only one out of 10 pastors made it to the finish line. And pastor, this pastor, particular pastor said, oh, that could not possibly be true. So he went home and he wrote in the back of his Bible, 24 names of contemporaries that were presently in ministry. And he said, from time to time, I would go to the back and I would cross out a name. I would cross out a name. I would cross out a name. And within 33 years, he said of that initial 24, there were only three names left. Now, that's pastors, but in a sense, that's all of us. Which of us do not know of someone who lost sight of the finish line and fell away? Maybe they're even in your family, right? So here's the point. You and I can't assume that if we lose sight of the finish line that we're going to finish well. In fact, Stephen Farr writes in that book, Finishing Strong, in the Christian life, it's not how you start that matters, it's how you finish. Wherever your start was, wherever your stumbling was, whatever your cause was to all of a sudden put your faith in Christ, finishing matters. And if I could just tap those words of Paul's again, here they are. Notice what's highlighted. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus. So here you go from our text this morning. If you wish to finish strong, three things you got to do. Fear not the future, invest in those that follow, adjust your priorities, okay? Simply. Fear not the future, invest in those that follow, adjust your priorities. I just want to remind you that if you and I were to take our culture and our world and drop ourselves into Paul's place, we would have never gone to Jerusalem because he's over here doing missions work and it's profitable and it's fruitful, but he believes he's supposed to be in Jerusalem because the Spirit told him he's supposed to be in Jerusalem, but the Spirit also told him that he would suffer in Jerusalem. Now, hold on to that for a second, that he would be in chains in Jerusalem, but Paul isn't afraid of that future. In fact, let me show you that here, verse 22 of Acts 20. He says, and now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit. Now, that's an important phrase. The Spirit of God in some way had told Paul, listen, you got to go to Jerusalem. And this is what he says, not knowing what will happen to me there, except this, that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that I've been in, that imprisonment and afflictions await me, okay? He says, I don't know how it's going to happen, but I know that I'm going to be afflicted. And yet Paul still chooses to go into the future with that understanding. He's not afraid of the future. And I was thinking about that because of this phrase, not knowing what will happen to me there. That's usually where you and I begin to struggle with issues of fear because we don't know what will happen to us there. Now, in a moment, I'm going to unpack that for you, but 
just take a look at what happens to Paul in Acts chapter 21. Okay, so let your scriptures slide over there. He isn't yet to Jerusalem. He gets on the ship at the end of this chapter. He gets on the ship and he travels. He ends up in the mainland, back in the land of Israel. He's at Caesarea. And when he stops there and visits with some people, this is what happens. Can you imagine this is your visit, like with friends? And all of a sudden, while we were staying there for many days, Luke writes, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when we heard this, we, the people there, urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, what are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. Now, in future weeks, we're going to get into that journey, okay? But I just want you to know that at this moment, Paul knows that where he's going into the future um, is filled with affliction, it's filled with suffering, it's filled with imprisonment, and yet still he goes. That is so, so countercultural. Everything about us is to just get to the point where when we hit retirement ages or when we hit the next step, we are prepared for the next step. And it, it caused me to say, like, how can Paul do that? How, how can he be, while everybody else is urging him, Paul, you're making a mistake. Don't go, don't go, don't go. When everybody else is urging him, how is Paul not afraid of the future? And I think here is why, okay? The future is a chance to grow independence on God. That's it. Now, <clears throat> just think about that for a second. Your future is your chance to grow independence on God. That's it. When you and I begin to think about our future as what about this and what about this and what about this, we need to reinsert into that discussion, my future is a chance to grow in dependence on God. Now, for just a moment, I'm not telling you to go out and, 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 uh, and cash out your 401k plans and send it all to a different part of the country, okay? Um, unless the Spirit of God is telling you to do that, and then that's your issue, right? But I'm not saying that. I'm not saying we don't exercise wisdom. But I am saying that if our confidence shifts over to our wisdom and we have forgotten that the future is a chance to grow in dependence on God, then we are not thinking properly about the future. So imagine momentarily. You're a middle school. You're you're an elementary school student. You're about to go into middle school. For those of you who are here in that situation, you can say, "Whoa, that's really scary over there. Those kids are a lot bigger than me." And 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 I'm not even sure. Hey, listen, your future is this. Your future is a chance to grow independence on God. And moms and dads, when your kids are getting ready to take a step like that, and you say, "Don't worry, it's going to be okay." Don't tell them that. Okay, it may not feel okay to them, but you can tell them this. Hey, your future is a chance to grow in your dependence on God. And all of a sudden, you are moving through life, and every time we're thinking about our future, we're just saying it's an opportunity to grow in dependence on God, because that's how Paul views his future. Now, for just a moment, as a pastor, you need to know that um, more than on one occasion, I have been bedside by people when they have crossed over into heaven, and those experiences are incredible experiences, incredible experiences. And I will tell you this, when someone is dying, you want to, they want to know 
that they have grown in dependence on God so that in those final breaths, they can say, I'm just depending on God. Because at that stage, everything they own, everything they have, everything they've done does not matter. See, this is the finish line. Your future is a chance to grow in dependence on God. What if everything you're going through presently is simply an opportunity to do that? And I'll tell you, when I thought about that, when I was studying this passage, was I remembered how much Paul had been afflicted. Like, he'd been stoned, he'd been left out in the road for dead, people had attacked him, and all of what's coming, he just looks back at that and says, hey, I've been getting prepared. He's not complaining about it. He's simply saying, whatever I came through that was difficult is an opportunity for me to grow in my dependence on God. That's why we don't fear the future. Let me give you the second idea. Invest in those that follow. The younger generation will outlast you. That's right. The younger generation will outlast you. Okay. Now, when I was younger, I kind of thought about that differently. Okay. But now that I'm older and I'm looking back, I'm realizing, listen, there's a really good chance that most of the people who are here that are younger than me are going to outlast me. So that creates this question, like, then what am I going to do with that? And you should be thinking the same way in your workplaces, in your neighborhoods, with your families. We should be investing in those that follow after us because the younger generation will outlast you. Now, Paul does this really remarkable thing here. He, he calls for the elders of Ephesus to come to Miletus. He says, listen, I don't want to go all the way up to Ephesus, but if the elders can come down to where I am, I want to talk to them before I leave. Now, these are elders that he spent three years with, okay? And for just a moment, let me just take a brief tangent and unpack a word for you here because it's worth noting. And it's, if you're new to fellowship, it's kind of where we draw how we do church from. He says in Acts chapter 20, verse 17, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. Elders is plural, church is singular. We believe that the church should be led by a plurality of godly men, not just one, okay? I remember once uh, there were some kids playing basketball here and and I came into the gym and I was talking to them and they weren't from our church, but they had dropped into play. And, and while I was talking to them, they said, I said, oh, I'm one of the pastors here. He said, oh, you own this place. Okay. No, I don't own this place. All right. Okay. It was, it was funny, but I, he said, because my uncle's a pastor and he owns his church. Okay. And I would remember thinking like, what church does he own? Like, you know, that was, it was just this weird moment for me. Okay. But here's the thing. I'm not even really singularly in charge of Fellowship Bible Church. I'm an under-shepherd that serves with various under-shepherds. 1 Peter 5.3 says there's only one chief shepherd. That's the one who died on the cross and gave us life. And I'm not interested in taking his position, okay? But here's the thing, elders, plural, in the church, singular. Let me show you how that word is also used if you have Acts 20 in front of you. Look over at verse 28. Paul charging these men says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you, two words here, overseers to care for the church of God. Overseers is the word episkopos. So elders is a word, presbyteros sounds like presbytery. Episkopos sounds like episcopal. These are where these denominations pulled their names from. But here's the point. The first one speaks of maturity, elder, someone who's older, exercising maturity both in relationship and in wisdom. This one speaks of overseeing. But they're not overseeing a building that they own because they don't own it. They're overseeing souls. That's why it says, care for the church of God. They're overseeing souls, which means that those who serve here in that capacity 
are responsible. They're responsible for your soul. So when they come to you and say, listen, I'm concerned about this area in your life, like that shouldn't be there. That doesn't honor the Lord. You need to know that they're fulfilling their responsibility. Notice also the word care for the church of God, or some translations render it feed the church of God. It's, it's the Greek word poimen. It's the word we get pastor from. So there's three words used interchangeably here, elder, overseer, pastor. And we see those words as being used interchangeably, which is why when I talk about my role here, I say I am one pastor that's here. I'm not the pastor, okay? Because every time I find these words used, they're used at well, only one time out of 200 are they used in a singular sense, okay? So I'm gonna go with 199 plural times, right? The, by the way, the word pastor isn't a title ever in the scripture, it's just an action. It's a word that says I'm gonna open the word and feed somebody. It's a word that says I'm gonna care for. It, it, it's simply an action, not a title. Overseers care for the church of God. So here's the thing. <clears throat> Paul, who's about to leave, has spent three years training these people, training these guys that are in Ephesus. He spent three years with them teaching. He's about to say that. And it caused me to say, okay, what exactly, if you're looking to the younger generation or someone that you should be investing in, that's just not pastors, that's all of us in some way, shape, or form. I remember hearing my pastor in California, he often said, listen, um, if you've been a Christian for any period of time, you know something about God. Find someone who knows less than you and share with them, okay? Like don't say, well, that's somebody else's responsibility. I don't know enough. There probably is somebody who knows less than you and so find them and share with them. That's because we're looking and knowing that the younger generation will outlast us. Now, here's three words Paul uses. We're gonna unpack these, okay? He said, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of the repentance towards God and the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Three words. This is what Paul does with this group of guys. He declares, he teaches, he testifies. Okay. So let's just kind of unpack those three words if we could. Here's the first one, declaring. Declaring is, I want to remind you, is to carefully choose your words. They are investments in future generations. Now, wherever you are, whoever you are, this could be helpful for you. Are you a parent with your kids? Carefully choose your words because those words are investments in future generations. Now, you may not have ever thought of your words like that. You may have thought, I'm just trying to communicate. But can I show you something? Paul says in Acts chapter 20, verse 20, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, which means he recognized he was investing in that generation of leaders in the church of Ephesus. That's really important. You might not have thought about it that way before, but that's why we carefully choose our words. Profitable, if something is profitable, that means we're gonna limit some of the words and we're only gonna use the words that are profitable. Wow, that's, that's a cool concept. Just let that settle in for a little bit. When you use your words to talk to other people, are you thinking that those words are supposed to impact them for the future. You say, no, Phil, I'm just talking, like I'm just telling them what I believe, or I'm just telling them how ticked off I am, all right? Okay, that's not how we're supposed to use our words. Here's how we're supposed to use our words. We carefully choose them because they are investments in future generations. Here's a great question. How many of you can remember something that someone said to you 
um, at least, let's, let's go back 20 years, 20 years ago that impacted your life, at least 20 years ago. Can I see your hands? Okay. Somebody invested in you, right? You go the other way. How many of you remember something negative that someone said at some stage in your life that impacted you? Even more hands, right? Wow. You and I should do what Paul did. We should declare, choose our words carefully because they're investments in future generations. By the way, the word declare is the Greek word angelos. It's the word we get angel from. It's a word that means messenger. It means you and I are messengers. When we speak, we are messengers of God. Carefully choose those words. They are investments in the future generations. Now, here's something else he says. If you let your eye wander down to verse 27, he uses the same phrase, I did not shrink from declaring to you, but he changes the end of it. Notice how he says, anything that was profitable, I'm going to limit my words and only say what's profitable. But here he says, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. In other words, I'm not going to limit my words. I'm going to tell you as much as I can that's in the Bible. That's really important because there are times where I am tempted to only give in counsel a part of what the Bible says and not all of it, right? Because the other part can feel painful. But here's the thing, that's not the whole counsel of God. You and I should be declaring, that is, investing our words by communicating all that God says, not just part of what he says. It's really important. Especially in our culture, that is kind of swung to a side that says, well, I'll just take a few verses and say that's what it says, but that's not what it says. I, I've used this illustration before, but for those of you who haven't been here uh, for a while, d- just let me say this again. How many of you have been quoted on something and someone says, I heard this is what you said, okay? And then you respond, that is what I said, but it's not what I, can you finish it for me? Meant. That's because someone took a portion of what you said, a a buzzword, just a a, a quick newsflash of what you said out of context and said, this is what you meant. That is so wrong if we do that to God. Paul said, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. So that's declaring. Here's your second idea, teaching. Notice it in the text. I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. So let me talk about that word for a second, teaching. It means to consistently put God's thoughts into your mind and the minds of others. I call these God thoughts because I want you to see a word here in a second. We're, we're talking about the attributes of God, the qualities of God, the character of God, things that God is, not just the commands of God. Those are important too, but who God is. We want to consistently put God thoughts into your mind and the minds of others, okay? And, and we can make that case from the word here because the de- teaching word is the word diaskalos. It's the word that we get doctrine from. It, it means that we're putting who God is into your mind and the minds of others. And Acts 20, verse 31, <clears throat> he says this, therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. The, the word admonish is a, is a word that means to put into someone's mind. If that was the word, it means that I'm putting a thought into your mind. I'm telling you that this is how you ought to think about God. Notice this too, he said, remembering that for three years, I did not cease night or day, okay? And that's why I say we consistently, for a long period of time, regularly, we put God's thoughts into your mind and the minds of others. Now, here's the thing. You cannot begin to put God's thoughts in the minds of somebody else if you haven't first first put God's thoughts into your mind, right? I, I I am so amazed by this. 
very rarely when I'm talking to someone um, and I've been consistent in my time in the Word, do I not find that something I was reading just that week applies, like right there to the person I'm talking to. And when you miss a few days, all of a sudden it's like, whoa, I don't have anything to say because your God thoughts aren't in your mind to put therefore in the minds of others. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not. Now one more word here, here it is, testifying. Declaring, teaching, testifying. Declaring, teaching, and testifying. For just a moment, um, let's just talk about the word testify. Um, there is, in the way it's used here, both to Jews and to Greeks, of repentance toward God and the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. There is a word here, <coughs> here that describes that we want to speak urgently, encourage life change in both action and belief. We want to encourage life change in both action and belief. <coughs> I'll come back to that in a second because I'm going to frustrate all of you who are taking notes, but just let me show it to you from the text, okay? Testifying both to Jews and to Greeks, repentance towards God, that's action, that means I'm doing something wrong, I discover it, I'm turning to the Lord, okay? And faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, that's belief. The Bible is full of this paradigm, what we believe, what we do, the indicatives, the imperatives, it's always like that throughout the Bible. God just doesn't give us knowledge. He gives us knowledge to do something with. And so both of those are important. So that's why we say urgently encourage life change in both action and belief. <clears throat> when I was in seminary, uh, one of my favorite statements ever came from a uh, a prof, there was a conflict in the class, and, and the professor said, hey, listen, I don't mind conflicts in class. He said, I, 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 and then he made this statement just kind of in passing. He said, listen, good learning is necessarily disruptive, okay? Good learning is necessarily disruptive. And I remember getting him out to breakfast, and I'd say, what did you mean by that? Like, good learning is necessarily disruptive. He said, Phil, if I haven't disrupted your thinking, I've only given you what you already know. But if I've disrupted your thinking, you've learned something. What if we looked at all of life like that, the difficulties we face, the challenges we face, the disruptions we face, and we simply saw them as an opportunity for life change, that God was asking us to repent for something or to believe in something, urgently encourage life change in both action and belief. <clears throat> That's why he's testifying. By the way, <clears throat> Here's something really important. Just notice this, verse 21, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks, which some writers have said that means that Paul is inclusive in who's he's, who he's talking to. He doesn't care who he's talking to, whether Jews or Greeks, he says, even though the Jews are rejecting him, right? And even the Greeks sometimes are rejecting him. Paul's inclusive in his belief, but he's exclusive in his message. That's why he says, listen, it's only through the cross that you can come to know the God of the universe. There's your picture, right? Um, we should be looking to share with anybody who will listen. Repentance towards God, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, there's those three words. I'm gonna give you the word and I want you to say what's underneath it with me, okay? Declaring, say it with me. Carefully choose your words. They are instruments, investments in future generations. If I could read, I'd be better off. Okay, here we go. Teaching, consistently put God thoughts into your mind and the minds of others. Testifying. Urgently encourage life change in both action and belief. Now you got three words right there at the beginning of those statements. Carefully, consistently, urgently. 
That's how you and I should be investing in the younger generation. I don't care if they're a few years younger than you in their walk in Christ. I, I don't care where they are. That's a church, okay? Carefully choose your words, consistently put God thoughts, urgently encourage life change. But there's one more. Here it is. If you're not the future, the future is a chance to grow independence. Invest in those that follow. Why? Because the younger generation is going to outlast you, okay? Adjust your priorities. This has become, in recent days, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Um, this verse in Acts chapter 20, verse 24, because it's so focused. And there's not, there, I don't have any notes for this. So you're just going to have to kind of follow. I'm going to give you four words that work with this verse, okay? And we're going to go kind of through them pretty quickly. So here they are. Acts 20, verse 24. This is how Paul adjusts his priorities. <clears throat> now remember, the Apostle Paul was a guy who had priorities back in Acts chapter 9. He wanted to execute Christians. That was his priority. He wanted to rise up through the ranks of the Pharisees and be in charge. That was his priority. God comes to him, saves him, and this is the word that he hears from the Lord. Um, you are a servant of mine and I will show you what you must suffer. That's a change of priorities, okay? Paul says here, I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself. Wow. Here's your first word. The first word in Acts 20, 24 is the word perspective. Paul's perspective about himself has changed. His perspective about himself has changed. I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. It, this is kind of what Jesus, I think, is saying over in Mark chapter 10 when the disciples are arguing about who will be the greatest. And Jesus says, listen, that's how the Gentiles talk. Here's the thing. Even the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. That's a different perspective. What if your perspective in mind was just looking for opportunities to serve? What if we evaluated our lives from our opportunities to serve? Justin um, referenced the our meeting this afternoon as elders, I am so encouraged that as we work through that particular evaluation of ourselves as a group and as individuals, one of the key things was, what did we do this last year to serve somebody, okay? Now, you say, well, man, I'm glad I don't have to answer that. I'm glad you guys do. Listen, we all have to answer that. Our perspective on our life should change. Paul says, I don't even account my life of any value, and it certainly isn't precious to myself. Again, just... Stopping for a second and tell you how countercultural that sounds. Okay. Paul's saying, I don't, think, I don't need to think about myself because I'm focused on serving others. Your first word is the word perspective. Here's the second idea, the second phrase, if only I may finish the course. Your first word's perspective. Your second word is time. Okay. Time. If only I may finish my course. There's something to be said that, that when we near the end of something, whatever it might be, a career, uh, a move, life itself, a school, whenever we near the end of something, we suddenly look at the time that's coming at the end very, very differently. <clears throat> I remember my dad used to say this when he, when he was up in his final years of life. I used to say, how are you doing? He said, well, I got a lot of life behind me, and I don't have much in front of me, and it's coming at me really fast. Okay. That's a great perspective to have. Because, see, Paul says, if only I may finish my course. 
We want to finish well, whatever that might be, wherever you are in life. You say, yeah, I just started working this job. I got 30 years of this job. Okay, keep your eye on the finish mark and just keep doing it well. See, you want to finish well. You say, well, our kids are coming up into high school. We only got like three or four years left. Then they're going to be out of here. Finish it well. Finish it well. I had a chance um, a couple weeks ago. I was coming to church in the morning, and I saw this guy flying. He was running like a flat-out sprint. And I thought, man, that guy is booking it. Like, I wonder how long he's been running, right? And as I passed him, I realized he was a friend of mine from church, right? And I remember thinking, holy smokes, that is fast, okay? And I, I ran into him later in the week, and I said, hey, did I see you running? I said, he said, yeah, I probably was running. I said, do you always run that fast? Like, how much did you run? He said, I was nearly home, and so I always sprint when I get close to home, okay? I was thinking, okay, I mean, if I, if I, when I'm running, if I had to do that, like, just park the ambulance, like, right there at my house, okay? And it was such a reminder that usually when we come to finishing the race, we kind of slow down, right? Kind of relax. We kind of say, man, I only got... That's not how we should be thinking about it. We should be thinking about finishing well, like hard, fast, honoring God. You say, well, yeah, but it's hard at the end. Hey, I'm gonna, this, this isn't a secret. I'm going to tell you this is one of my favorite stories ever, right? When I was in seminary, my Greek professor came into class one day, and he said, he said what did you guys do this weekend? <clears throat> we all talked about what we did this weekend. He said, I ran a marathon. Okay. I remember looking at him thinking, he's like 60 years old. Right? And he said, you know what? He said, not only did I run the marathon at my age, but he said, in the last couple hundred yards, I was passing everybody. I'm sitting there thinking, what are you on? Like, okay, like, how did you, do you even remember life properly? And he said, here's what happened. He said, my wife took my kids and had them standing every 50 yards at the finish line, okay? So he said, as I came up to the finish line, I heard my kids calling out my name. And he said, wow, like that just energized me. I just passed everybody. Can I tell you something? That's what we should be doing as brothers and sisters in Christ. We should be encouraging one another. Hey, keep going, keep going, keep going. Because when you see time, it's shrinking. The opportunities are shrinking. And you want to use it well. You want to run strong at the end, not give up. Here's your third word. The ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus, your third word is stewardship. Paul doesn't look at his life and his ministry as something he did. He looks at it as something that was given to him. Okay, That's a different perspective. That's a very different perspective. The ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus your third word is stewardship. Your first word is perspective. Your th- second word is time. Your third word is stewardship. It's a ministry that he received from the Lord. You may not have thought about it yet, but God has providentially placed you in certain environments so that you might have a ministry from the Lord Jesus. Your circumstances may have been very difficult. That prepares you to minister to someone who's gone through the same thing. 
You might say, man, work is so hard right now. That prepares you as a ministry to respond to it properly and therefore share it with someone else. You might say, well, I got a bunch of kids in my classroom. They don't pay attention worth anything. Okay, maybe, but that's your opportunity to do ministry that you've received from the Lord Jesus. You say, well, I'm serving people. Phil, people complain so much. I can hardly manage it anymore. Listen, put a smile on it. When someone says to you, how can you be happy? Don't you read the news? Okay. You can tell them, I read the good news. Right. Here's the point. You and I are given ministry opportunities. This is how Paul looks at his life. He says, listen, my perspective's changed. I, it's not about me. Time, I got to finish well. Stewardship, I have a ministry that I've received from the Lord. Here's your last word. I love this. To testify to the gospel of the grace of God. I was reading this week, that phrase, the gospel of the grace of God, is only used here, and yet one writer said it so defines Paul's teaching. But the word order is only used here. Gospel is the word for good news, the good news of the grace of God. All that stuff we sung about this morning, that Christ came, that he died on the cross so that our sins could be forgiven, that's the grace of God, all done, by the God, all done by the grace of God, not because of anything we have done. And it's good news, right? It's good news. It's pondering that. That last word for you, therefore, is priority. Priority. And I'm going to give you what I mean by priority. Priority is what matters most. That's it. What matters most. The thing that should matter most to us is not what we're going to do with this life, not what we're going to accomplish, not when we're going to stretch it out so that we can live to be 105. None of that, right? The thing that matters most is that we testify to the good news of the grace of God, both in word and action, which means you and I should be serving others who don't have anything. Why? Because we want to get a chance to testify to the grace of God. That means you and I should be sharing when we have a chance, right? Looking for ways to encourage with the goodness of the grace of God. That means when you talk to that fellow believer, brother or sister, who complains all the time, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Negative, okay? You should be just looking for a chance to say, hey, listen, I'm sorry you've had a bad day, but have you thought about the gospel recently? Have you thought about what Jesus did for you recently? Our priority should be to testify to the good news of the grace of God. This is such a great verse. But I didn't account my life of any value. My perspective's changed. If only I may finish my course. Time is running out. I want to finish well. If I, and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus, stewardship, it's my, not my ministry, it's the Lord's. And finally, to testify to the good news, priority of all the things Paul says, this is what matters most. In the upcoming weeks, this is what's going to happen. You're going to watch Paul be arrested, be chained, be uh, maligned, have, have people say things about him that are not true. Okay. And all of it comes back to this one verse where Paul says, listen, my life is of no value and it's not a precious to myself. I just want to testify to the good news of the grace of God. Here's your final thought. Adjust your priorities. The time remaining is limited. Spend it wisely on what matters most. You gotta adjust your priorities. The time remaining is limited. 
Spend it wisely on what matters most. If you wish to finish strong, wherever you are, fifth grade, eighth grade, 10th grade, 99th grade, okay? Wherever you are in the learning process, if you want to finish strong, fear not the future, invest in those that follow, adjust your priorities. And if you really want to finish strong, you got to see the time remaining as limited. Spend it wisely on what matters the most. Father, it's been a privilege to look to your word this morning to be reminded that it's history, it's back there in the past, but because it's your living word, it's more than history. It instructs us how we should live. Lord, I pray that for each of us today, we would even look at this afternoon differently. We would look at this next week differently. We enter into it being encouraged to run the race hard, to finish well, to not back off even when we're tired, to be attentive, to use our words more carefully, to look around us at the people who need help, to reach out and to just be Jesus to them where they are. Lord, I acknowledge that we're leaving this place into a world that is filled counterculturally with all sorts of other stuff that's meant to distract us, that's meant to pull us away, that's meant to cause us to spend hours scrolling on our phone as opposed to remember that we're supposed to do what matters the most. Help us, Lord, to live differently as a result of your word given to us this week. May your Holy Spirit impress it on our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.